And if you're a homeowner in Chicago, or if you've been in the city for an extended amount of time, one thing you notice is that we have an array of different types of houses here in our city. Uh, depending on the neighborhood, you have different houses. We have row homes, we have condos, we have apartments, we have townhouses, row homes, you have mid-rises, you have high-rises, you got bungalows, and those are just to name a few. We have 220 or more than 220 different micro-neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, and when you ride into different neighborhoods, you see different types of homes. In this area where we are right now, this Tri-Taylor UIC area slash Pilsen, in the midst of all of this, you'll see a lot of single-family homes. Uh, you'll see some condos and apartments, but if you ride into the West Loop, you're going to see a lot of mid-rises, mid-rise buildings, and you're going to see a lot less uh, single-family homes. If you ride downtown, you're going to see some high-rise buildings, some beautiful architecture. You're going to see uh, some condos. You're going to see all these different hotels and, and this skyline. And one of the things that is undeniably beautiful about Chicago, regardless of what neighborhood or wherever you're riding into, one of the things that's undeniably beautiful is the architecture. The architecture of Chicago is beautiful. And, and let me help you. Let me give you something to take home. If you've never been on an architecture tour, you need to bless yourself this summer. Get your mask on and go on down that, that river tour, that architecture tour, and just learn a little bit about Chicago. Learn about the history of this city and how the buildings came to be. And that's what I love about history. That's what I love about this city. When we ride down that, you get to see where and get to learn about the, the origins. You get to learn about the history and where the buildings came from and all that they have gone through, the Chicago fire and all these things that have happened. And one thing you learn about the architecture, one thing you learn about the buildings that have been, one thing you learn about the, the homes, if they're indeed historical, is that you, you, you learn who built it? You, you learn how it came to be. You learn who was the architect. And, and most of the time, you'll see a plaque on a building. You'll see some writing outside, maybe engraved in the building. If it's a home, you may, able, may be able to see, oh, this is a Frank Lloyd Wright home, or this is, this is some type of home from back in the day. You can, you can find out if you want to who, who made the home, where it came from. But on the other hand, it's a lot harder to find out who who's been living in it over the last years, hundred something years. It's hard to find out who rented it, who's been in and out of it, who was actually served in the home. But you can always find out who made the home because who made it is where the edifice came into being. You see, as we step into this passage today, the, the writer is simply pointing out the difference between Moses who served in the house of God and Jesus who helped build and resides over the house of God. Today I want to talk about God's house. I want to talk about the significance of God's house to us. I got three points in our time today, and I'm going to be out your way. I got number one is Jesus is greater. If you got a pen or paper, you can write this down. Jesus is greater, number one. Number two, act like a child, not a servant. Act like a child, not a servant. 
Number three, consider Jesus and hold fast. Consider Jesus and hold fast. As we get into this text, it's a lot more of y'all in here because restrictions opened up. So I expect a little bit more amens. Y'all kind of quiet up in here, okay? So, so we, we got to walk through this text. I need to hear y'all, okay? Thank you, Mama Rocha. Now, now, by way of reminder, as we get into this text today, the book of Hebrews was written during a time of trial. It was written during a time of tribulation to the people that are reading, helping to encourage them in this time of trial to, to look to Jesus. But not only to look to Jesus, to actually know who he is. In chapter 1, we, we looked at the difference between Jesus and the prophets and the angels. The text told us that God used to speak through the prophets. Key word, he used to speak through the prophets. He used to speak through them, but now he's speaking through his son. He told us that Jesus was in the beginning with God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature and created all things. And he created this world. And what this means is that if he's now speaking through his son and he's been speaking through his son, then Jesus' word was first and his word is what really counts. See, the text says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Radiance means to, to give off the glory. So to behold Jesus is to behold the glory of God. The writer lets us know that angels, no matter how great they are or how great we think they are, they're no match for Jesus. Jesus is better, but he's not only better, he is indeed supreme. And see, the good news that's riddled all throughout this first chapter is, is in all of these verses, the, the writer speaks about the greatness of Jesus. And, and, and it's this fact that for those that believe, he's not only supreme, but he's also a mediator, meaning he works on behalf that believe and he's seated at the right hand here's the thing he's a mediator he's a he's a mediator for us he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven interceding on our behalf right now and chapter 2 pastor Steve walked us through it so eloquently and he talked about the goodness of God he brought it a little closer to home for us where the writer lets us know that Jesus is not only supreme but he's the founder of our salvation and he has suffered just like we do the text doesn't say that, that Jesus just came in a human suit, but it says that, that he came and was like us in every respect, meaning that he suffered loss. He suffered pain. He suffered temptation like we do. And I don't know about y'all this Sunday morning, but I'm thankful that I have a Savior who didn't just come down here and put a suit on and look like me, but he went through some pain like me. He went through some temptation like me. He suffered like me. So now here it is. Now when I suffer throughout my days, I can suffer knowing that I can get through it because Jesus has already gone before me. In our passage today, our, our text continues with the supremacy of, of Jesus. And the writer starts out with a consideration. Everybody say consideration. 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 He says in verse 1, look at it with me. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He begins with the word, therefore, which points back to all we just walked through the chap in chapters 1 and chapter 2, where, uh, where he says, now, consider Jesus. Here's that word. Consider Jesus, which alludes to where he's about to take us through this passage today. Because when someone says to me the word, consider, it always prompts a question in my mind. Consider what? 
Why should I consider? What do you want me to consider? And so, so even though the writer has walked through all the supremacy of Jesus and who he is and how he became like us, today the writer, he's juxtaposing Jesus against one of the, the main fathers of the faith, one of the great fathers of the faith, Moses, here in this passage. You see, the text turns to speak to the supremacy of Jesus according to the old law and how he's now fulfilled it. Now, hear me. For the original reader, when they're reading this, just like it would have been if they were reading chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the book of Hebrews, when they read this, for the original reader, this would have thrown them off. They're reading this, and I, I, I can guarantee they kind of like side-eye, like, what? And the reason they would be looking at this like this, even though we just walked through the supremacy of Jesus and who he is and how he suffered like us, you know why they would do this? Because the text simply says that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so the people will probably be like, wait, come again? This Jesus is greater than Moses, the one that stood up to the Egyptian Pharaoh? Huh, wait a second. He's greater than the one who freed us from Egyptian captivity? Greater than the one who led us in the wilderness for 40 years into the promised land? You got to be kidding. He's greater than the one who gave us the law, who gave us the Ten Commandments. No way. See, when you read this text, you see that the writer tells us that Moses was just faithful in the house of God, which by saying this, he's given credit to Moses. But then he says, Jesus, on the other hand, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He, in fact, says in verse 3, look at it with me, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as of the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He keeps going and he says that Moses was faithful in the house as a servant, but Christ sits over the house as a son. Y'all keep staying with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. You see what, see what the writer is trying to make clear is that Moses was just a servant in the house of God. But there's a big difference, hear me, between being a servant and a son. There's a difference between being a servant and a son. Don't miss this. See, the servant is faithful, but doesn't get the same privileges as a son. The servant may dwell in the home and know some of the intimate details of the home, but a son being a child of the parents who own the home is part of what makes a home a home. Y'all missing this thing. See, see, what the writer is trying to say or reiterate is that Jesus has been here since the beginning of time. And not only has he taken part in building the home, the house of God, which makes him worthy of glory, but he also presides over the house of God. Hear me, no servant is worthy of the glory of the owner of the house. No servant is worthy of the glory that the builder gets. You know why? Because the servant, as faithful as they are, they're not responsible for the home. They don't pay any bills. They don't even care. Even if they care about the home, if they clean up the house, they're usually leaving the home and going someplace else to live. This is not their home. They keep the home clean for someone else. Nobody walks up to the servant and says, my, oh, my, oh, my, your house is so beautiful. That doesn't make sense. Most of the time, they're not even noticed. 
But on the other hand, the sun keeps the house clean because they live in it. They own it. They care for it because it's theirs. And if someone walks up to them and says, man, oh, man, your house is so beautiful. They can humbly accept the compliment because it's theirs, too. The servant doesn't get to take part in this. Because instead of sharing in the glory, they live to give glory to the builder of the home or the owner. See, hear me, hear me, hear me. Moses gave us the law. He taught us how to serve. But Jesus, in Jesus, through his sacrifice and his life here on earth, he fulfills the law and now gives us freedom as children of God. Let me see if I can make this plain. Y'all didn't amen me, so y'all missing this. And I can't have you miss it because it's a reality. It's good. This is a good truth, and there's freedom in understanding the truth of who Jesus actually is as the son, as the one that's presiding over the house. I'm in your neighborhood, and you don't even know it yet. I was talking to my my kids this week on the way to school. We had some good conversations in the car, and uh, I, I remember quite vividly, my mother having some of the similar conversations with me. And I I was talking to them about simply cleaning the house. And I was telling them that it shouldn't take mommy and daddy always having to tell you to clean the house. Some of y'all, amen, that parents know what I mean. It shouldn't always take us telling you to clean the house simply because it's your house. It's your house. And if you don't honor it, if you don't keep it clean, then other people won't do it either. It's your house. And, and I was trying to help them understand, really, to not take for granted the blessings that God has bestowed upon them. Not, not just the house or the clothes on their back, but the reality of having two parents in the household. And I didn't grow up that way. My wife didn't grow up that way. And, and hear me, I wasn't trying to make them feel bad for not cleaning the house or anything like that. But I wanted them to realize the blessing of being a child with parents that love you. I wanted them to understand the blessing of being a child with parents that love you. And when you're loved, you don't take it for granted. But instead, you live from a place of freedom, knowing that you're loved. So so instead of being privileged, instead of being spoiled, as some would say, you honor not only your parents, but you honor what has been given to you. Now, hear me, they're just kids. They may not get this till after college. My mom's over here shaking her head a little too hard because I think I might have finally got it eventually. But what I'm really trying to get across to them, what I I really want them to understand is that if you truly understand who you are, if you truly understand what you've been given as a son or daughter, then you start to walk, you start to move. You start to live, you talk, you play, you do all these things differently because you know you're loved. But here's the thing, and I know some of you all might have caught it already because if they misinterpret what I'm saying to them, then what begins to happen is that everything they do in life, they'll keep the house clean, they'll they'll do good in school, they'll do well In in sports, they'll do all of this in order to serve or to please me. And so now, instead of being children that are loved by their parents, they're now servants. 
they, they start to perform instead of living from a place of being loved and accepted. Friends, hear me. There's a big difference between being a servant and a son or daughter. And here it is. Here it is. I'm stepping into your neighborhood if I'm not already there. Too many of us are out here calling ourselves believers, but instead of acting like a son and daughter of God, we're acting like a servant. We're out here trying to prove to God something. I need to do this. I need to do that for God to accept me. I'm going to make it. I'm going to show God that I'm good, that I can make it through this life. I, I can do all things. The text, hear me, it opens up by saying, therefore, holy brothers. It does not say, therefore, holy servants. It says, therefore, holy brothers. But And holy brothers, when it says that, it means set apart. Talking about believers, talking about you and me that believe. It says, who you, you, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. Not consider yourself. Not consider what you bring to the table. Not consider how good you are. No, it says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hear me, friend. Jesus has already won the battle. He's already run the race. Now, chapter 2 tells us here, he says that he was made like us in every respect. It does not say he was made like us in one respect. It says he was made like us in every way, meaning he suffered. So now when I suffer, I don't have to suffer without hope, but I can suffer knowing that Jesus has walked before me and that I know now that I'm fully loved, I'm fully approved by God through Jesus. So if I mess up, I'm still loved. I'm getting a couple claps. Y'all missing this thing. Jesus being like us and suffering like us. But yet defeating sin and death means that we walk from a place of victory. We walk from a place of the battle already being won, which means that you ain't got nothing to prove to God. We're sons and daughters of God through our belief in Jesus. We out here trying to be the best me I can be. And the reality is that you can't be the best me that I can be. If you think about it, even on a worldly level, the best me that you can be is way too high. You know why? Because the bar never stops. You get here and there's a next step. There's a next step up. There's a, another hamster wheel to take on. You don't have what it takes to be the best me I can be. We don't have it. And here's the reality. When God calls us to himself as sons and daughters of his, he doesn't call you to himself so you can go out and figure out life on your own. No, he calls you son and daughter so that you can now live, as John 10, 10 tells us, life to the full, life abundantly. And I'm not talking about all these, the, the, the treasures that you can grab with your hands, the things that you can tangibly touch, this tangible prosperity like money and all that. I'm, so, I'm talking about peace in your mind. I'm talking about peace in your heart, as Philippians 4 tells us. God doesn't call us to him to just keep struggling. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. Y'all, we've been struggling throughout this whole year. But he calls you to himself so you can experience the freedom in being a child of his. I was talking to somebody last week about this as I thought through this passage. And, and I, I always, when I'm, when I'm thinking about running after Jesus and, and being a child of God, I... I 
I always like reading the Apostle Paul in his writings. When I, when I read Apostle Paul's writings, I, I always look at it and I read it in a different view. And I'm like, God, I'm like, Paul, I, how, did, how in the world did this dude keep going? When you read about what he went through in Acts, like, how did this dude keep going? How did he keep worshiping God? I, I'm looking at there, there ain't nothing joyous about continually being locked in chains. There, there's nothing joyous about being ridiculed for your faith. There, there's nothing joyous about being shipwrecked on a missionary journey. There's nothing, nothing joyous about being stoned and being left for dead. There's, there's no joy in that. But yet Paul continued to go on and on over and over again. Paul would go on to, to, to plant numerous churches. He would pen 13 of the letters in the New Testament and probably many more letters that are written that we don't know about. And, and I've come to believe that Paul was able to keep going. He was able to keep going because, hear me, he knew who he belonged to. He knew who his daddy was. Paul knew that he was a son of God. So it didn't, it didn't matter what came his way, what trial came his way. He just kept on going. See, too many of us don't understand the freedom and the power there is in being a son of God. You're not a servant if you believe, but instead a son or daughter. And a son or daughter has way more say-so than a servant. Hear me, if you're a believer... Stop acting like a servant and act like a son or a daughter. Accept your rightful place as a son or daughter who is loved by the most high God. There's freedom in that. In this Mother's Day, I'll be honest, I know this is tough, though. This can be tough because many of us in here, if we're honest, probably feel like we weren't loved by our real parents in this way, so it's hard to accept the love of God. It's hard to see myself as accepted on the basis of the person and work of someone else when everything else in my life, all the accolades and the things that I've achieved have come because of my performance, because of what I bring to the table. And there's this continual voice in our heads and in our hearts, we may not say it out loud, that says, if I don't work hard, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. And I hear you. But can I let you in on a little secret? If you haven't got it throughout the series, and, this is, and hear me before I get to that, there, 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 if I'm honest, this is something that I, I struggle with too something I have to constantly remind myself of too because I, I sit in that same place my, my father was not around growing up and my mother who's here God bless her heart she worked two or three jobs my whole childhood so if I'm honest I didn't get to see my mom as much as I would have liked to either as a child and so you know what I did I went hard in everything I could do I was gonna be the best student I'm gonna be the best athlete I'm gonna be the best person, everybody's going to know me. And I wouldn't consciously say it out loud that I'm performing or I'm doing all this, but I wanted to be the best. I was going to achieve. You know why? Because then I'll be noticed. Then I'll be affirmed. 
You don't have to verbally give it. I'll, I'll get my affirmation when I, when I win this trophy, when I get straight A's. I, I'm going to get my affirmation through this. I'm going to show you. So hear me. Let, let me lean in for this, and I need you all to listen. The same Jesus that we're talking about here in the scripture is the same God who helped create everything we can see, everything we can hear, everything we can touch, which means that he has been there since the beginning. He's always been a part of our lives. He's been there intimately interwoven in the making of us in our mother's womb. He knows, as the psalm says, every hair on the top of our head. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. So hear me, if this is true and we believe that, listen to me. He doesn't need me to take care of me. He doesn't need me working hard in order for me to be affirmed. No, my affirmation is not found in what I do. It's found in who he is. It's found in what he gives me. It's found in my identity through him. It's not found in what I bring to the table. It's found in who he is. I don't have to work hard to prove anything, but instead I get to work from a place of, pro of approval and freedom because my God has already worked for me. Even though I may not get everything I need on this side of heaven or all the accolades and affirmation I want, I have to remind myself, if I'm honest, especially as a black man in America, that I am a beloved son of God no matter what anybody else says. That's the truth that keeps me going. Not my knowledge, not my strength, not my affirmation, not my looks, none of that. But my identity in Christ is what keeps me going. Who I am in Christ. God is pleased with me regardless of if I win or I lose, which is hard to fathom because, y'all, that ain't a humanly love. That's an unconditional, unimaginable love that's filled with grace. We don't deserve to be loved, but God loves us anyway because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, the grace of God has been lavished on us. I love that word, lavished. It's been poured out on us. We, we live from a place of grace and love as believers, not performance. See, to dwell in the house of God is to live from a place of grace. I love uh, one of my mentors, Crawford Ritz. He says the definition of grace. I love this definition. He says, grace is the unconditional, limitless love and kindness of God towards us. Let me say it again. Grace is the unconditional, limitless love and kindness of God towards us. Listen, family. No other religion leads with grace but instead performance. You need to do this, you need to do that, to be accepted, to get to eternity, you need to do that. You need to be this type of person. But in Christianity, our Heavenly Father leads with grace. See, the grace of God is where freedom lives. Grace doesn't just mean, it doesn't mean do what you wanna do, but it's freedom because we don't have to perform. 
It's not based off our works. Christ has done all the work. Friends, hear me. If you believe, stop acting like a servant. Accept your rightful place as a son or daughter of the Most High. Accept it on Jesus' work alone. You're in God's house. But I know why y'all not amening, because some of you are still sitting there and you're saying, I hear you, Pastor B, I, but I still don't get this whole house thing and Jesus being over the house. Why is that really important? I, I'm still missing it. Hear me. Watch this. The text says next, Christ is faithful over the house. He's faithful over the house, which means that, that not only is he the builder of the home, but, but he's also the caregiver. He's also the caregiver. Don't miss this. This is the first time in the text that Jesus in the book of Hebrews is referred to as the Christ, which is equivalent to Messiah or the anointed one. This name refers to the deliverer of the people of God. The writer says he is over the house. So hear me. The truth that the believer has to remember, has to understand is that not only Jesus is supreme and over all things as the son but he's faithful over God's house. That's you and me, which are those that believe. See, he's, a, he's the anointed one. He, he's the Messiah. He's the deliverer. This means that, that the believers don't just have anybody on their side, but they have Christ Jesus on their side, the one that's holier than holy, the creator of all things. He is the one watching over believers. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, is he's sort of like our Superman, but only better. How many of y'all like DC comics? Y'all like the DC movies? Be honest, y'all know y'all been watching DC movies. So Marvel, I heard the Marvel, I hear it, I hear it, but some people, y'all, I, I like Superman, I like Batman. And one of the things that, one of the movies I watched over in the last month, and, and here's the rule, I'm going to tell you this, if, 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 if a movie comes out and it's over two weeks long, uh, two weeks, it's been out for two weeks, it's free game for illustration, so... I'm going to tell you right now, if I mess it up for you, I'm sorry. Um, shame on you. We're in a pandemic. You could have watched that movie. Um, but The Last Justice League, I'm talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Man, it was four hours long, but it was off the chain. Off the chain. I didn't like the other one, but I this one was good. And they chopped it up in like 38 parts, so you can watch it in different parts. You don't have to watch it all at one time. But it was off the chain. And, and if you haven't seen it, don't, don't put a frown on it. I'm not going to spoil it for you, I promise. But one thing I did notice from the movie is you got all these different superheroes. And you have Batman, and as powerful as he is, as, as, as powerful as Wonder Woman is, and Flash, and Cyborg, and Aquaman, all of them together. Without Superman, they simply can be defeated. But when they have Superman on their side, they're untouchable. Friends, hear me. The writer of Hebrews here is he's trying to let us know that this Jesus, who we believe in, this, this Jesus is greater than Moses. This, this Jesus is greater than Superman, and he's on the side of those who believe. He's the builder and the caregiver of the house of God. 
the anointed one. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning and he will be there long after we're dead and gone. The writer who has been doing this all throughout the book of Hebrews is trying to let us know who Jesus truly is and that Jesus is on the side of those who believe. So hear me, family, as we end today, we got to end where we started this passage because the writer began by saying, consider Jesus. And I believe there are some of us that have walked in here today that we need to do exactly that. We need to consider Jesus and we need to take it a step further than that. We need to give Jesus our life for the first time ever and say, Jesus, here I am. Take me. I believe in you. Your death, burial, and resurrection. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord. And Romans 10.9 tells us that we're saved based off that confession. You're tired of living as a servant trying to perform and be the best you you can be over and over again. It's time to say no more performance. It's freedom up in here. It's time to accept that place as a son or daughter of the most high God. Writer says, consider Jesus. Some of us need to do that today and put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. Some of us walked in here, though, on the other hand, and we believe in Jesus, and, but we need to heed the words of verse 6. We need to not only live as brothers set apart, understanding who Jesus is as our apostle and our high priest. But we need what verse 6 says, which is to hold fast to our confidence and our hope that is in Jesus. If we're honest, some of us, we've been wavering like the wind and the waves throughout this pandemic. We walked in doubting. Is Jesus really real? Is he, is he really for me? Does he really love me? Is he truly my father? Does he truly want to be with me? Am I truly a part of his house? I'm going to tell you as your pastor and as the, as the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you, hold on to your confidence in Jesus. Hold on to the hope you have in him. That same Jesus who was here in the beginning, who has been faithful since the beginning of time, is the same Jesus who is now faithful over the house of God. That's you and me who believe. Hold on. Walk as a son or daughter of the most high God, no matter what comes your way. Know who you are. Know who you are in Christ. You are God's child. You are part of God's house. Whose house? God's house. Whose house? You are a son or daughter of the most high God. Walk in that truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of who we are, God, in you as believers. Even if the world may say something different or mother or father haven't been in our lives, God, we thank you for being a good, good father to us. We thank you that we can believe in someone who will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for being a good father since the beginning. And and you'll be a good father uh, far after we're gone too, God. On this morning, God, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory.
We give you thanks. Because you didn't have to go out of your way to love us. You didn't have to go out of your way to do anything for us, let alone die for us and resurrect from the grave. But you chose to because you loved us. God, we thank you that we start from a place of grace. And there's nothing we have to do to be accepted by you. There's nothing we have to do to be approved by you. God, it's all satisfied through the person and work of Jesus. That's good news, God. Lord, I pray that that's the place that we work from. I pray that that's the place that we rest from. When the struggles in our mind and the struggles in our hearts start, start to overtake us, God, would you grant us your peace? Knowing that we don't have to worry about anything because you've ran the race before us, God. And this, this place ain't our home, but we're part of God's house and you created a place for us in heaven. And y'all, I can't wait to get there. So God, until then, God, would you give us peace? Would you protect us and keep us? Will we constantly be reminded of the goodness we have in Jesus, the grace of our almighty Savior and your love towards us? give you our lives, Lord Jesus. For some of us, it's the first time. For some of us, it's us coming back and saying, here I am. God, let us continually, not only today, but experience the goodness of knowing that we're part of your house. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all say, amen.